0: Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. We have been in the process of focusing on crying out to God, not just saying prayers, but really praying and connecting with God and crying out to him. We've been on a 40-day journey. Uh, it's hard to believe that today's already day 17 of that journey. But I know that God has been doing a work in my life and in Deanne's life as we've shared in this journey, and I, I've heard testimony from you. And so on day 17, we have a diagram that we're going to be working through in our sermon today, and next week and possibly the next three weeks because of the magnitude of what's there. The design of this uh, diagram is to help us take scripture and become reacquainted or better acquainted with the ways of God. So many things are being said today that are outside of God's word and contrary to his ways. And so it's good for us to look at the scripture and dig deeply and Uh, Be reminded constantly of the ways and the will and the work of God in our lives. And so as you came in, hopefully you were able to get a a handout. If not, there's some in the back and there's some over here on the sides. But, um, well, on this side, not there. We're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We need to put this in context. Leading up to Deuteronomy is 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of, of moving uh, hundreds of thousands of people through the wilderness. And the whole reason they were there is they came to the edge of, of the promised land. They could look over the boundary there and they could see the land of promise that God had promised them. And so Moses sent out 12 spies to spy the land out, one from each tribe. They went out and they spied out the land and they came back and they gave a report. So they had a business meeting and the majority and the minority gave a report. The majority of the 10 spies said, they're huge. There's no way we can take this land. Two spies said, that's wrong. God has promised it to us, let's take the land. Now name with me, let me say in alphabetical order, the names of the two, Caleb and Joshua. Now, somebody just call out one name of the 10. They don't matter, do they? Only the ones that believed God. But in spite of the positive report of these two, they took the the testimony of the 10. And because of that, the judgment of God came upon them. And sparing... uh, Moses and others around him and Joshua and Caleb and others around him, that whole generation would die in the wilderness. And so someone has termed it the longest funeral march in history. Can you imagine that 40 years? Some people in the room have not even lived that long. 40 years of just wandering and waiting for that generation that doubted God to die. So a new generation had come up and they had grown in those 40 years during that generation being passed away. They watched what was happening. They heard the story. They heard why they were out in the wilderness and not in the promised land. And they knew that death was coming to that generation ahead of them. For 40 years, that transpired. The story was told and retold. And so now they're back on the border of the promised land. And so God gives Moses a message in various parts to deliver to the people as they prepare to go into the land that God has promised them. As he does that, He reminds them of the past. He reminds them of what God demands in the present. And he points to the fact that God will do some things in the future based upon how they obey or disobey God. And so that's the heart of the message. And so for about a month, Moses proclaims this message to the people calling them not only for them to obey, but to teach their children to obey God when they enter into the land of promise. And so today we're gonna to read quite a bit of scripture before we start into the message because I don't want to assume that we all have spent a lot of time in Deuteronomy, but I think it's good for us to to hear the word of God read uh, in detail. And so uh, today, we, uh, as we stand to read the word, I, I don't want you to feel pressure to keep standing or even to stand. If you are physically unable or, or need to sit, be, be free to do that. We're not, we don't measure the standards from the sitters, okay? We don't measure spirituality that way. But We're gonna focus on the downward spiral of spiritual decline, We're going to begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments As are in all this law, which I set before you this day, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Then if you turn over to chapter 6, Verses 14 to 19. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt or test the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land, of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Then if you turn to chapter nine, I've added another passage. Chapter nine, verses five through seven. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, that the Lord your God drives them out before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord spoke to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness for you are a stiff-necked, rebellious people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Then chapter 27 of Deuteronomy. verses 9 and 10. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And then chapter 28, verses one and two. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then verse three and following is talking about all the blessings that could come to them. Then in verse 15, you find this statement. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. There's a lengthy list there. But look at verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. Then beginning in verse 58. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back On you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that we are not a new Israel in the sense that we replace the people that you addressed here. But Father, as we as we listen to this and as we read it, if you dealt so strongly with your people whom you chose and blessed and made great promises to how will we be spared from your judgment? And Father, we see signs of your judgment all around us. From natural disasters to disease to lack of wisdom in high places, we are desperate for you. Father, more than the desperate circumstances we we face, we are are desperate for your reputation to be regained in our nation. For for your people to be revived and strengthened in their faith, that they might stand strong as a standard of righteousness. And so, Father, we pray that that the, the depths that these verses have taken us to would cause us to cry even more deeply to you on behalf of our our community, our state, our nation. So Father, please speak to us from your word and about your ways today that we might be able to connect the dots for others, that they might come to understand your greatness and your majesty and that they might come to bow before the the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Although we do not replace Israel, uh, many people speak of the United States as if uh, we do, but, but that's not true. These were chosen by God, people chosen by God. Have we been blessed by God? Yes, we have. Has God honored his word? Yes, he has. And so there are principles that we can take and apply in our lives that are very helpful, but I don't want us to make the mistake of just moving this out of the realm of where Moses delivered it and throw it in our realm and say, well, this this applies completely to us. The principles here do. But I want you to notice something about the nature of God's promises before we enter into the passage and look more closely there are two types of promises that he makes. Good consequences, bad consequences. If you do this, you heard us reading that, if you do this, I will do this. But if you do not, then I will do this. Now, most of the time when we think about God's promises, what category do we usually think in? Those promises of blessing. Blessing but there are still promises of cursing and calamity from God. And when we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, God does not change. His view of sin does not change. His response based upon the blood of Jesus covering our lives gives us a good response of heaven with him. But God is still just as holy as he ever was. He still has a hatred for sin just like he always has. And God still holds a high standard of obedience among his people, even in the light of his grace in our lives. Who did he say was going to bring all of that disaster upon them? He was. It was going to come at his hands. And so that's where we have to start. We have to understand, although God doesn't cause everything, much of it is caused by the sinfulness and depravity of the human heart, God uses that to get the attention of his people and to bring them to repentance. And so let's begin to walk through the the diagram. As we think about these expectations God has and these consequences that Can follow. First of all, when you begin to see a downward spiral of spiritual decline, which we have seen in our nation and continue to see, the first thing you see is discontentment. You saw that when the people came out of Egypt, you saw that when they had need for water or food and how they grumbled and complained about their leader Moses. You saw that discontentment when Moses is up on the mountain receiving the revelation of the law of God and the people are discontented and they get Aaron to build an altar and they create a golden calf. You see, people become very discontented. God's people can. And it happens many times during the greatest time of blessing. So just think, God had brought them out of years and years of bondage in Egypt and yet they start complaining. There's there's always that unofficial complaint committee among the people of God in a church. There's the grumblers and mumblers because they're, they're just discontented. Whatever God does, it's not good enough. It's not quick enough. It's not... Thorough enough and they they get discontented. I've been there, perhaps you've been there, where you're you're blessed beyond measure, but you become very discontent because you you want God to do something else, and and, and it may not even make sense. So that's the beginning of that downward spiral. And so that's what he's warning about here in Deuteronomy: forgetting where you came from. And forgetting God, letting go of all those memories and stepping here and saying, but God, what have you done for me lately? That's what discontentment looks like. It's a turning of our hearts away from God. It's us shifting onto substitutes for his presence and his power among us. If we knew the hearts of many of God's people today, It would be shocking, I would think, how many people come into the sanctuary and worship the gizmos and gadgets rather than God. And we talk about how we have so much more at our disposal today. That is true and it can be used for God's glory, but it can quickly become a substitute for the power and the presence of God. And we can be like the church of Laodicea where we have a reputation that, or one of the churches in in Asia Minor that had a reputation that they were alive, but Jesus said, you're dead. Religious activity is no substitute for the presence and power of God. And so we choose to run ahead of him We have this carnal religious activity because we're doing all this for God, but God's saying, I can represent myself and I want to magnify myself among you. I wanna pour out my power among you. You know, one of the cries of my heart is God, we have seen what we can do. Will you please show us what you can do? Will you please break open heaven and just pour out your presence? that we might get a glimpse of who you are. Well, it doesn't stop there. It, it downward spirals to disobedience. You become disobedient after you become discontented and you begin to do things your own way. You begin to do these substitutes and these things and you begin to function with disobedience. So that's the second thing on this downward spiral of spiritual Decline, disobedience. How many times do we read, obey the voice of the Lord or they did not obey the voice of the Lord. This is his voice recorded for us. They did not obey his statutes, his judgments, his word. Uh, Repeatedly, we read that. So disobedience is a shift onto idols now let me paint a picture for you of where we are as a nation right now this is not intended to be political but but it's not it's also not intended to be politically correct either have you not heard recently and continually on the news the elevation of the idol of science My stomach turns when I hear that, but we've got to look to science. We've got to listen to the science. Why have we gotten there? Because there are people who have promoted a lie that we are a natural result of nature and not created by God. And you can't prove the existence of God because science has to prove that. And so they'll break all the rules of silence of science, and they don't get silent. They break all the rules of science to claim that there is no God because science is the God. We don't need science near as bad as we need a savior. We need a fresh Touch from God. God is not going to spare us until we look to Him and above all other idols and turn to Him in repentance. Disaster is going to keep coming. It's not science that's going to see us through, it's the Savior. But we have come to a point where our idols have become so sophisticated, but so ridiculous to think that apart from God, we can handle this. Toward the end of our 40 days, you'll find some times where the leaders of our country called us to prayer and fasting and humiliation because they recognized there was nothing apart from God's intervention that was gonna make a difference. And so that's what Moses is saying under the inspiration of God here. He's saying, obey the voice of the Lord. Get back to that simple but profound obedience to the word of God. But that disobedience always breeds idols and carnal desires begin to run rampant. And out of the same mouths of people that say we need to look to science, they will speak out of both sides of their mouth because they cannot tell the truth. Because if you have a God or an idol that does not hold you accountable and is not living and active and perfect and righteous like our God is, you can say and do whatever you want to because you have no standard by which to measure yourself. Because science has told us, and I'm not saying every scientist is an unbeliever, but I'm saying that in our culture, people have allowed science to say, you are your own God. And that has led to this awful disobedience. The next thing happens then, the third thing is disorientation to God disorientation to God. If we were to stand on the corner of the square or somewhere in our community and interview people and just ask them, do you think God might be trying to use this crazy amount of hurricanes, this life-threatening disease that has crossed the globe Do you think God is trying to use the silliness of politicians at times to get the attention of people? What would the majority of people say? No, my God wouldn't do that. You know what they're saying? My God is not the God of the Bible because if you worship a God of your own imagination, you are worshiping God idol, And so I've heard people say, well, my God's not like that. My God's a loving God. Yes, my God is a loving God and he is so loving that he is jealous for his people and he will do anything in his power to turn them back to him, not because of his selfishness, but because of his holiness and the glory he longs to express through his people by bringing goodness into their lives. That's the God of the Bible. He is a jealous God, not just a romantic God or an emotional God. He he is jealous for his people. And so what happens in this disorientation? Your vision becomes blurred towards sin. You become disoriented to the word of God. God. You become disoriented to the ways of God because those are revealed in the word of God. That's what we were reading all about the ways that God works. You become disoriented to the will of God. You, you don't know what God's will is in that disorientation state, and, and really you don't care. And I'm, I'm talking about when a culture turns from God, that happens. My way, my will, this is mine, mine, mine. This is my church. This is is my town. This is my state, my nation. It's gonna be like I want it. Have at it. God owns it all. And we become blind to the working of God in that disoriented state. Or disorientation state. You know, we we we've been praying for years that God would revive His church. You know what revival really is? It it, it it's God's quickening. J.I. Packer says God's quickening of His people, touching their hearts and deepening His work in their lives. I don't think everything's out of control right now. I think everything's under His control. And I think he may be answering our prayers for him, reviving and quickening his people by allowing us to be in such a desperate situation. And I I base that on the word of God. It's not my opinion. It's based upon what things like we read just a moment ago and and the scripture's full of all of that. All the way to Revelation when Jesus talks to those seven churches. If you think God changed, you need to read those seven letters to the churches. So you go from discontentment to disobedience to disorientation, and then you get in a very um, vulnerable place. That's defiance of God. Defiance of God. That's where you you not only push him aside, but you defy him. You're, you're gonna show him. We can do this without you. And that defiance can even happen inside the church. Years ago, I was in a meeting of leadership. Someone used the word faith and somebody said, Could we not use that word anymore? That word offends me. You know what offends God? Lack of faith. He's trustworthy. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But that's that's an act of defiance. Even under the auspices of being spiritual and religious, we, we can get there even personally. But in a culture, when that defiance sets in, the, the, the church begins to resemble the culture more than Christ. They used to compare the statistics of sin in the church and sin outside the church. Now there's no need for comparisons, it's all the same. Isn't that crazy? It's all the same because sin has become so accessible. And churches are doing ministry without God, doing ministry without God, usurping his lordship and just doing things on their own, defying the lordship of Christ among them, which brings us to the next level. Just when we thought it couldn't get worse, then it comes to that point of divine discipline. That's what Moses was talking about repeatedly. If you don't, these curses will come upon you. Did, did that curse at the very end about all those diseases that come from all these nations, all these places, and they're gonna take over Israel? Did that not sound familiar? If this virus was manufactured for our destruction by some evil party, don't you know they're already manufacturing virus number two? And if we don't wake up to the presence of a holy God and how vulnerable we are in our health and how desperate we are for every breath that we take, we will experience the calamity that was promised to Israel, not because we're the new Israel, but because if they didn't stand a chance as his people there, how in the world would we on this side of the cross and in our culture stand a chance? In Judges chapter two, you take a right there at Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter two. Now this is after they're in the promised land. But here's another principle that we can look at. They get a warning for a month. You think my sermons are long his lasted basically a month. Joshua comes in, leads them into the promised land. They win battles. They take the land. And then even after all of that, Joshua 2.15 says, wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly The hand of the Lord was against them. Now here's the thing. I didn't mean to sound like somebody else when I said that. Anyway, here's the reality and the fact. God does not just sit back when we disobey him and become defiant. His hand is against us. Isn't that a crazy thought? It's not like we just can't do as good as we could have. It's that we can't do anything because his hand is against us for calamity. And that was his people in the Old Testament, the chosen people. Now you take our nation as just one of the nations and would his hand not be against us? And one of my friends that studied deeply about God's judgment and discipline has come to the conclusion based upon scripture that when God begins his judgment, he takes away the wisdom of the leadership. If you put that scripture across our nation, isn't that apropos? And so God began to discipline by putting his hand against them. What would he do? want to do what he said in the first part of Deuteronomy 28. Basically, my hand will be upon you for blessing. Now, if I were to ask you, do you want God's hand of blessing upon you or his hand of calamity against you, wouldn't you choose his hand of blessing upon you? We got to cry out to God that we get back to that whether our nation turns or not, I want to turn back to God in such a deep fashion that his hand of blessing is upon me and his hand of calamity is not against me. And if God has blessed us In spite of us, like he has, just imagine what would happen if we bowed before him, got right with him completely as individuals, as groups, and he began to pour out his power and his presence among us. That would get the attention of the world. So sometimes God's discipline is immediate, sometimes it's delayed. And sometimes it's progressive. So sometimes it happens like this God's judgment is delayed. It's progressive. And then it's immediate. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah delayed, delayed, delayed. Progressive, progressive, progressive. It's over. So don't take God's delay or his progressive discipline and judgment among his people as a sign that he has changed. He's calling for us to change and to repent and get right with him. But then it gets worse. Divine distancing. God is, distances himself from his people. Now, divine distancing needs some explanation here. I believe and I know the Bible teaches that when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he is there as the permanent resident of your heart. He never leaves, he never forsakes you, He indwells you. He's the seal of your redemption, the scripture says. He's the down payment of future blessing in your life based on your obedience to God. But there is that personal presence of the Holy Spirit within us, but then there's that cultivated presence of God. Haven't you found that when you're on your face before him, you're crying out to him, you're talking to him, you're immersing yourself in his word and there's this cultivated expression of his presence that you can't explain. It's not some mystical, crazy thing. It's just that you are absolutely certain that you have cultivated God's presence there. And then there are times when we worship or when there's great repentance and there's the manifest presence of God where he manifests his presence, not by crazy uh, means, but but simply by this sense that he is holy and he's among us. And we've experienced that at times. We've had services here in this room that we didn't close the service because it was was too much of a sense of his holy presence among us that we dare not just quickly leave and and shut it off. We've been there but when when people are under God's discipline there's that withdrawing of himself that manifest presence of God from his people now you might say well that might be true in the old testament but not the new testament revelation chapter 3 the church at laodicea not hot not cold they're lukewarm he said i want to spew you out of my mouth That's in chapter three, verse 15 and 16. And then verse 20, you know what verse 20 says? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What's he talking about? That church. He wasn't talking about somebody's heart. Although that principle may be true. He was speaking to a congregation. He was saying, I'm on the outside looking in. You have fallen in love with the world. You you have compromised, you have sinned and I'm out here outside the door and behold, I stand at the door and knock and any, if anyone will hear and open the door, I will come in and dine or commune with him. Isn't that a crazy picture? People inside a building claiming to worship Christ and he's on the outside knocking on the door trying to get in. That's New Testament, that's, that's extreme New Testament, that's Jesus. He has a way of being pushed out of his church and not us pushing him out, but our actions causing him to divinely distance himself. That's why it's so important for us to walk with him in unity and to walk with each other in holy love and commitment because we are his people and he is welcome among us. So in the Old Testament, it's referred to as the hiding of God's face when he would distance himself. Numerous passages talk about May the Lord bless you and keep you and what? Make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Then there are other times it says, and God hid his face from them. And in Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, it says... Um, if I shut up the heavens where there is no rain and if I send pestilence and plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. But it's a seeking of God's face, not his hand, his face what does that mean? You know what it meant. If a teacher or an adult or a parent looked at you and they they lit up, they were shining their face upon you. but, But were there ever any other times where you saw them turn and hide their face in disappointment? Sometimes it was in a sinful way. I'm not saying that but when God does it, it's not sinful, it's holy. Now, moms, I know you've said to your kids, I don't want to see you again until that room is cleaned up. And you were hoping they would be out before school started the next day. That meant I am I am up to here with this, and I don't want to I don't want to look at you, I don't want to see you. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about him hiding his face. He doesn't, he's not looking. He, he knows what's going on, but he's not shining his face upon you. He's hidden that, that wonderful countenance of his blessing. And that's what Deuteronomy 28 is all about. He will either shine his face upon you in blessing or he'll hide his face and the curses will take place even among his people which brings us to the final thing and that's decision. We face a decision. If you have the rest of the diagram, you know the decision is this. Repentance, moving back toward God or ruin. Now I am not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm not the grandson or great, 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 great grandson of a prophet. But I can look at God's word and know something very true. If our culture continues as it is, we have no hope. We are our worst enemy. Not China, not Russia, not North Korea. We are our worst enemy based upon scripture. If we have turned away from God, we stand no hope. Does that mean that God might use a foreign power to get our attention? He could. Does that mean he might use disease or natural disaster? He could. But if we don't wise up, if we don't get on our faces before God and cry out to him, If Israel stood no hope, how in the world do we think God is gonna say, oh yes, I forgot, it's the United States. I'll overlook all of that. People may not say that, but they're acting like it because it is desperate and we need to be desperate before God Crying out to him. And for me, that's the only decision. I want to be broken before God. I want to turn to him and I want to see our nation turn to him. Does that mean a host of people will be saved? May or may not. But if the church is revived, its witness is restored. And it may not be a host, but the ones that come to Christ under those circumstances... They don't just come join the church, they are joined to Christ. There is a vast difference, isn't there? So the bottom line question today is, do you belong to him? I mean, we've looked at all of this in light of God's people. If you're outside of Christ, you are under the condemnation and judgment of God already based on John 3, 18. You were condemned already. You are dead and separated from God if you don't know Him. And you have no hope, not just in this life, but through eternity. Would you come to Him today? We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit wwwfirstcrocket.org Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.